0: Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I am your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about healing from a cesarean. So, we know right now in our culture, about a third of birthing people are going to have their babies through a surgical birth through cesarean. But I don't feel like enough attention is paid to the healing process, to how to heal postpartum after surgical birth. So, I reached out to Sarah Reardon and Jessica Reel, and they give some amazing information about scar mobilization, about the abdominal abdominals, how to find that support postpartum about what's going on with the pelvic floor. It's a really great conversation and they give so much valuable takeaways that I think you'll really enjoy it. But let me tell you a little bit about my guests. So Sarah Reardon is a doctor of physical therapy graduating from Washington University in St. Louis, and she's a board certified women's health physical therapist. Sarah specializes in the treatment of pelvic floor disorders, including changes that affect sexual health and wellness. And she's the founder of The Vagina Whisperer, an online resource for pelvic health education for women worldwide. Jessica Reel is a doctor of physical therapy and a board certified specialist in women's health and has been working with people with pelvic health difficulties for over 10 years. She's the founder of Southern Pelvic Health in Atlanta, Georgia. So I think you're going to get a lot. Even if you didn't have a cesarean, I still think you're going to get a lot of great information because we talk about demystifying what pelvic floor of physical therapy is. We talk about Kegels. Is it a yay? Is it an a? You're going to have to listen to find out. We also talk about binders, belly binders. So lots of great information. But before we get to that, I wanted to thank all the people that jump onto wherever they're listening to the podcast from and leaving a rating and review. It helps people find the podcast and then they get to listen to these really important and what I believe Fantastic conversations, so thank you for that. I also want to thank those that are listening to the podcast and then popping into our online yoga classes. We've got classes seven days a week, so if you're ever needing some yoga, some prenatal yoga, we got you covered. And what's been great is that people are coming into class saying, "Hey Deb, I heard about your online classes from the podcast," and then I can just give them a little special hello and a shout out. So I want to thank people for that. And then also last announcements, teacher training is just going so well. Caprice and I have really found our groove with our online teaching. And we just started our November, December training, and we're almost full for January, February, and then we've got March, April. And then I don't know what we're going to do after that. We got to kind of assess the situation. So if you are looking for a really comprehensive, in-depth prenatal yoga teacher training, check out our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. Now, if you don't want to Dive headfirst because I'm gonna say it's a big course. From when you listen to these podcasts, you can tell what anatomy geek is. You'll be able to that I am, you'll be able to get a sense of what our teacher training really is based on. But if that is not your groove, that overwhelms you, I have some smaller online courses that can just give you an intro to prenatal yoga and postnatal so that you know how to take care of your pre or postnatal student if you're a yoga teacher. I also have a free webinar for yoga teachers called three big mistakes yoga teachers make with pregnant students and how to avoid them with grace and confidence. You can check all that out on my website, prenatalyogacenter.com. All right. So we're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Sarah and Jessica. Hi, guys. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Jessica. I am so excited to speak with you guys. Thank you for some of your time. Thank you so much for having us. I'm excited to be here. So I really think the idea of healing after cesarean is a topic that's not covered nearly enough. We know that a third of the listeners will either have had or will have a cesarean birth. And I think it's an important topic to really dive into and understand what happens with the body during a cesarean? how to heal from it, how to take care of it. So yay, I'm so excited. All right, so let's, before we dive into that, I would love to hear a little bit about each of you and what brought you into specializing in pelvic health and also how the two of you ended up working together.
3: So I'll start. Um, I am Sarah Reardon. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist living in New Orleans currently, and I have a small private practice here um, where we work with women and, and men actually in the community of New Orleans, and we also offer online classes and telehealth sessions. So I started my career almost 15 years ago in pelvic floor therapy. I graduated from um Washington University in St. Louis and just really thought it was so interesting to learn learn more about my own body as a woman and my own pelvic health and to be able to help others with something they didn't know there was help for. So um, I've been doing this um, since I started and Jessica and I started teaching together for a institute that teaches pelvic floor classes about five years ago. And then uh, in this past year, um, during the time of COVID, we started offering online classes and courses um, to people in the community and other physical therapists. So we our um, dear friends, physical therapists, and, and you know, just colleagues have been working together and share the same passion.
1: Oh, I love that. I'm so happy to hear there is so much more pelvic floor physical therapists out there and just more awareness. So thanks for the work you do. And Jessica, let's hear a little bit about you.
2: Yeah. So I'm um, similar to Sarah. I, so I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. I, started into this specialty in PT school and it's interesting because you know I think some people go to PT school knowing they want to be pelvic floor specialists and that wasn't me um, but I ended up doing a rotation and just fell in love with the population. I think all the things that we treat uh, bladder problems, uh, painful sex, constipation, just tend to be things that people don't talk about Mm -hmm. but and and are often taken for granted until they don't work well. So I think as a student, I was just blown away by the difference that we're able to make for people and just the improvements we're able to make for their quality of life. So I jumped into it from there on, and I now own a, a pelvic health practice in Atlanta area and we treat all, all people with pelvic health problems and we've grown and I just love it. Um, but it's interesting, you know, Sarah and I, like Sarah mentioned, we, we teach for the same organization and do continuing ed work, but I really think that we connected a lot the first time that we taught together and we were doing, we were teaching a course in Atlanta and After the course, we were out at dinner and we started just having this great conversation about birth. And we both were sharing our experiences with birth. And I think at one point, like all of us were crying a little (laughs) bit Um, because it just is such a powerful experience that all people go through. And I think Sarah and I just both have such a passion for bringing knowledge to people who are so underserved and there's just such a huge lack of knowledge and, and thankfully, you know, now with social media and with every podcast like this, people have more access, but I, but I still think that We, we don't reach the people that we could reach. And so, um, I think that that kind of spurred us connecting together. And when the right opportunity hit with COVID, we just jumped in with a lot of online education. And, um, and it's been, it's been a really fun, fun journey together and reaching more people.
1: I'm so glad you are because I think so many, and I don't know if actually, I'm just throwing this out there, totally unprepared for you guys, but do you happen to know any statistic of how many people suffer from pelvic floor issues either after having a baby or just kind of the general population?
3: So it's a, it's a totally variable number. And there are studies that show that, you know, 70% of women, in, you know, in, within the first three months after giving birth may experience an abdominal separation, up to 50% may experience pelvic pain or painful intercourse. We know that with aging... You know, um there's a large portion of the population over the age of sixty five I believe it's fifty percent that will experience urinary leakage, so you know there's a lot of different statistics thinking about where in someone's lifespan they are. I think what's really important is that we all have pelvic floors, and mm-hmm. you know these are issues that can start as early on as. Um, puberty, or you know, um, even teen years when someone is a female athlete, or or learning to insert a tampon, or having some of their first sexual experiences, all the way until someone is in their elder years, and you know, potentially, um, you know, even living in a nursing home, we see a lot of um, of women and also men with in incontinence and um, some type of pelvic floor issues. So, you know, again, I think to, to echo what Jess said that. We often don't know that there is even this part of our body that exists until something goes wrong with it. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of just think, oh, maybe this will get better on its own or I'll, I'll I'll take this medication or do this procedure. But physical therapy hasn't traditionally been thought of as a treatment option for that until more recently. And I think we're really seeing a lot of people um, come to us either to prevent issues or to start tackling issues earlier on than thinking they just have to deal with them.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I remember after my first, I had a very long pushing stage. I pushed my child out for about five hours. So my abs wow. and pelvic floor were a hot mess after. And I remember just being told, I went to see a gynecologist, and she's like, make sure you're Kegeling, just keep Kegeling. And I'm like, there has to be more to it than that. And so I, and I, cause I, cause I took it, I'm like, yes, I will do this. I will put it all back together. And I went to a pelvic floor. Well, I went to one who's like, your chakras are spinning in the wrong way. And I'm like, I am peeing myself. I don't care what my chakras are like. So I went, I went, <laughs> To someone else who's a little more practical. I needed some down to earth, like give me some science. And she really, she, it was so much more. I'm like, oh wow, I really learned so much more about the pelvic floor than just, just keep keegling. So from that point I've been such an advocate of pelvic floor PTs. I kind of feel like had I not been in the yoga path, that would have been a path they would have taken. Although I don't know if I could have passed the science anyway. Um, so <laughs> I'm just so thankful for the work you're putting out because it, people are often just told, Oh, it's normal. You had a baby. You're going to have leakage. Just Kegel. And there's, we just know there's so much more to it.
2: Yeah. And I think that it's a, um, you know, like Sarah was saying, more and more people are seeking out and being proactive. But the crazy thing is that it, it still is such an underserved population that despite that, I think, I think so many times people are reactive instead of being proactive. Um, and, and that's part of, I think, how our healthcare system is kind of set up. But, but I would love, I was, as you were talking and as Sarah was talking before, I kept thinking, gosh, how great would it be for so many people if having this wellness piece and being able to, to really recover well and rehab their whole system was something that was just a standard thing in our country. And it's not now, but I really wish that it was because I think it would make such a huge difference.
1: Yeah. Like in France where that's yes. part of their. <laughs> So let's start to dive into the idea of cesarean recovery. So what are some considerations people should keep in mind when recovering from a cesarean birth? Because I'm sure you work with that population quite a bit.
3: Right. So, you know, I think it, it really starts from the very beginning. So 30% 30% of, around 30% of individuals will, um, birth their babies via cesarean section. And really recovery and educational recovery needs to start on day one. This is major surgery. And the tricky part is about a cesarean birth is that not only is the birthing mom or birthing person recovering from major surgery, but they're also trying to take care of another human being now. And so, um, you know, I think it starts in, in early hospital, um, interventions with teaching People think simple things like how to get out of bed, um, you know, to protect their abdominals, how to take their first, how to have their first bowel movement, have their first, um, urination, um, as that can be affected after surgery, how to take care of their scar, things to look out for infection, how to, you know, once their scar is healed, how to work on desensitization and scar massage. So some of those just kind of very basic healing and recovery aspects. And then again, just as if you had an individual who had a knee surgery or a back surgery, they would get sent to physical therapy for rehabilitation. And so thinking about these women who are giving birth, if they have a cesarean birth, physical therapy should be automatically part of their their postpartum recovery plan. We typically see people in our clinics around four to six weeks postpartum to just start you know, re-strengthening, reconnecting, um working on scar management things like that. Um in addition there can also even be things that are done pre, you know, um pre-childbirth. So if someone knows they're going to have a repeat cesarean doing some stretching and some breathing and you know, working on their own or with a physical therapist for some of those things to prepare for birth. So I think that that's one thing. And then also for a lot of moms, it's an emergent cesarean sec- uh, section, so thinking about the kind of emotional, psychological mm. aspect as well, I think is really important.
1: Oh, I 100% agree. Because you know I think so many times people are told, oh, the baby's okay. That's all that matters. But th- that's not all that matters. It can be really emotionally scarring, not just physically scarring. That was a great point. So knowing that a cesarean is major abdominal surgery, and a new parent has to have some movement. How much movement do you suggest in the first few days to weeks?
2: Um it's a that's a great question and you know to to echo what Sarah was saying a cesarean birth is a, and what you just said, a major abdominal surgery. And it's funny. Cause I think back when my husband had an appendectomy and you know, it was a laparoscopic and he had his surgery and then he spent like the next several days, like in bed, but getting up a little bit, it was like sleeping a lot and all this. And then I think to my first cesarean and I had been in labor for 37 hours and hadn't slept for two days. And then I had my cesarean and then I'm trying to learn how to breastfeed and care for this baby and so tired. And so the recovery is while, you know, it's a major surgery, it's a different experience when you're the parent and you have all this to do for yourself. And so, you know, I think that, um, first being be patient with yourself, Um, be patient with healing and know that healing is so, so, so important and correct healing is important because you want your incision to heal well. You want to manage what's happening with your scar tissue. So because it can impact everything around the core and the pelvis. Um, So I encourage people early on, you know, in that first day to just let their body rest. You can start getting up that first day. And we encourage you to do that early movement is very, very useful. Um, and so what you might even do is just get up and just kind of make that trip to the bathroom and back to your bed, um, and be aware of your movement as you're doing that. And so, um, trying to, uh, make sure when you're getting out of bed, one little tip, you know, roll to your side first and then use your elbows to help push yourself up into a sitting position so that you're not having to activate a lot of your abdominal muscles initially. Um, and then as you stand up to try to lean your body forward so that you kind of put your nose over your toes to move your weight forward and then use your hands to help you as you're pushing and moving into
1: standing. Um, That makes such good sense. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I cut you off. No, no,
2: you're good. You're good. So, so yeah. So during that first day, you're just kind of taking some time moving a a little bit around your room. Um, that second day you can start getting up and moving a little bit more. And so start walking, having someone with you first, you can actually use the bassinet in the hospital to support you a little bit. So you can actually use your hands and push through that bassinet to help your trunk support, um, and, and start walking within what's comfortable. But during that initial, so those, those first few days, you're walking a little bit, but then spending time sitting and finding a really comfortable space where you can sit. Um, So, you know, you'll be in the hospital, but then once you do head home, you want to build a little spot for yourself. So have a chair that's firm, not too deep, that's supported, using cushions to help you with um, any breastfeeding or feeding your baby. And during those first few weeks, you want to be healing. So minimize stairs those first few weeks, minimize lifting of another child. Um, if you have another child, it creates some challenges. You know, my <laughs> daughter was um, almost three when my second was born, also via cesarean. But having times where you can have your second child kind of cuddle up to you on the chair and stand and crawl up on, net, you know, sitting next to you, avoiding your incision can be really, really useful. And then during- during those first two weeks, try walking in smaller spurts. So getting up and moving and for a couple minutes and then coming back to your spot. And um, you can use also a stroller it can be really, really nice to help. Support- like a walker? Uh, well, yeah, like it basically is. And so you can use your stroller to give you some support initially too, but you really want to take it easy initially and listen to your body. If you feel increased abdominal cramping, if you notice increased bleeding or anything like that back off on um, it, you, I almost think that this is, this is one of those few times in our lives where like, it's okay to just rest, to take it easy for yourself.
1: What about breastfeeding and picking up the baby. So I'm thinking about the incision and the pain.
3: So one of the things that we recommend um, early on is not a waist trainer, but a an abdominal support. So that's kind of a very gentle, soft abdominal support that you can kind of use starting in the hospital. Um, I think often people worry like, oh, I don't want to get too reliant on it. But it really is, again, after abdominal surgery, you do want to have a little bit of extra support because there are day-to-day You know, life duties that you're going to be doing. Um, so that's a big piece of it. Also, you know, we teach people how to get out of bed, how to bend over and lift properly. So, you know, really trying to keep your, your, your back straight as you're doing so, bending at the hips. Um, another tip that we use is exhaling when you are exerting effort. So, you know, again, in the beginning, you do want to try to minimize heavy lifting, especially if you have other children. I know that that's so much easier said than done, but, you know, exhaling when you're going to exert effort so it doesn't put any strain on your abdominal wall or that incision. And so just little tips like that of, you know, using a a support binder, um, bending at the hips so you don't strain your abdominals, exhaling with exertion can really make a difference in helping someone do the things they need to do for their life and not injure themselves, but also feel like they um, aren't able to, you know, take care of their families, take care of themselves, those kind of things.
1: Yeah. I had, um, when my daughter, my second child was three months old, I actually had hernia surgery. So that's the only kind of uh, relationship I have to abdominal surgery. And I just remember being floored by how weak my core felt. Like I remember the idea of sneezing. I thought I was going to split open. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot like something that, wouldn't have bothered me picking up. All of a sudden I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, I can barely hold myself up and take a walk and pick something up. It really, it really surprised me by what happens when there's an incision in one's abs.
2: And you know, one little tip for that I will say is uh, my favorite thing after my cesareans was to keep a pillow nearby. If you ever feel like you need to sneeze or cough or anything like that, I would hold that pillow at my belly mm-hmm. when I did that. So it kind of braces your abdominals. Um, and in many ways it works the same, same type of support as the binder is doing around your abdominals. But, um, but that that often helps a lot I um, I will echo Sarah I loved my binder it was my best friend I think the only thing I would say is that if someone is if someone had a long pushing period before they um before they had their baby or if they have a, something coexisting with a pelvic floor problem like prolapse or something like that from a prior Birth or something else, Um you have to be a little cautious with binders because you don't want to funnel too much pressure down to the pelvis. Um, but if you don't have any of those problems, the binders can be amazing.
1: Yeah, I just want to just keep make sure we all highlight that because that's one of the things that I've had students have binders not for a cesarean but for just belly binding, and then they end up with prolapse. I'm like if that pelvic floor doesn't have support, those
3: organs have to go somewhere, and they're not going up they're going down. (laughs) Absolutely. Deb, you're so correct. And so, you know, Again, I think that that's why it's so important to really have kind of informed care, informed education, because we focus so much on kind of, you know, the, um, the physical aspect of it. But, you know, there are vulnerable areas in your body. Even if you've had a cesarean birth, pregnancy itself can affect your pelvic floor. And so regardless of how do you you give birth, you do want to just make sure that you're not funneling too much pressure down towards the pelvic floor. If you do wear a really tight kind of waist cinching, Um, support. You know, there are ones that even can come up from below like a tight pair of um, underwear or, um, and then it just gives compression or a tight pair of leggings that can go over the belly as well and support the pelvic floor.
1: Oh, I didn't know that about the, that kind. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's actually jump to the pelvic floor. How does a cesarean affect the pelvic floor? Cause I've heard people like, well, if we'll do pelvic floor work in our postnatal, I'll be like, oh, I don't really have to consider that. I had a cesarean. My pelvic floor is fine. But if some, if you know, if part of the core is cut, I'm assuming it affects all parts of the core, including the pelvic floor.
2: It absolutely does. And, um, you know, that's, that's a common belief that people will have is that I had the cesarean, my pelvic floor shouldn't be affected. But then we see in the literature that certain things like pain with sex, for example, is actually more common after cesarean birth than after a vaginal birth, um, which and that's surprising for a lot of people. But when you look at the anatomy, it's not surprising at all. So I think one thing that's important to remember is that the abdomen and the pelvic floor are actually part of a pressure system. And so they work together synergistically and um, help to contract in coordination with your breathing diaphragm to control pressures through the pelvis. So, what happens at one ends up impacting what happens at the other. Along with that, there are fascial connections. So, you know, when someone has a cesarean, we see this incision on the skin, but it's not just the skin, it's going to go through the fat, through the fascia and the connective tissue, separating muscles, you know, moving the bladder. And with all that, the scar tissue then actually is fairly deep. So there are fascial connections from the abdomen to the pelvic floor. So if someone has a lot of restrictions in their abdominals after a cesarean, it can actually pull on the pelvic floor and increase, um, Overactivity patterns of the pelvic floor contribute to, uh, things like pain during sex or even urinary symptoms like frequency urgency. Um, and then with that, we, because that system, the abs with the pelvic floor with the breathing diaphragm are so involved in our posture and our movement. We can also then see problems like back pain and um, pain around the pelvis. And and that again is why we always recommend people to be evaluated and really look at these things because there's so many different pieces to put together for patients. Mm,
1: I love that. So, all right, friends out there, if you had a cesarean, we still need to pay attention to your pelvic floor. I want to talk about scar mobilization. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, let's dive into scar mobilization, what it is, how to do it. We'll take a super quick break. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're back. So I'm loving this topic. So <laughs> we, <laughs> I know, I'm such a geek. So we talked about, you mentioned that deep scar tissue that can happen from the incision that can affect the pelvic floor. Talk about scar mobilization, the
3: benefit of it, and then how does one do it? So... Scar tissue, when it does heal, it sometimes may not be as mobile, as fluid, as soft as tissue that hasn't been affected by surgery or have a scar. And so the goal of the scar mobilization, and also we'll talk about desensitization, is to restore some of the normal mobility of that scar and of that tissue, which can help minimize pain, um, improve sensation, decrease numbness, um, and also scar restriction has been linked to, you know, bladder issues, bowel issues, um, painful intercourse. So something that, again, should really be standard care for every postpartum cesarean mom. Um, you know, what we do is we, you know, again, the first few weeks are just really focused on healing. Um, within the first two weeks is typically when any infection will arise. So you want to get past those first couple of weeks and just make sure that things are healing well. After that, some of the tips that we recommend are just starting with some gentle kind of diaphragmatic, which is rib opening breaths, um, some, um, you know, breathing to help reconnect to your core, reconnect to your pelvic floor and just get a little bit mobility in that abdominal wall. Um Another thing that just mentioned early on is is getting up and walking and just having a nice upright posture using a stroller, a bassinet or something to kind of get you out of a hunched over position so that that scar and that tissue can really open up and get in a more lengthened position versus a very kind of tight restricted position. And then we'll teach people different stretches like cat cow pose or a little, you know, backward bend and standing, um, a little bit of a gentle Cobra things to kind of just expand the belly with the breath. Often people are afraid to move. And so they don't, but movement really gentle movement can really be key. And then,
1: so when are you seeing people to start to do this four
3: to six weeks or after six weeks? All along that we started around four to six weeks in our okay. clinics. Um, that's what I do. Every therapist may do things a little bit different, but then there is, I mean, I've also seen women decades later, they have 30, 40 year old children and they're coming in where they're having bladder issues or incomplete bladder emptying or painful intercourse or um, constipation. And it can be linked back to their cesarean scar restriction. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's never too late. That's one thing we emphasize. And then if we're thinking about the immediate kind of postpartum recovery period, we start working on desensitization of the scar, which can use, you know, different materials or fabrics like a makeup brush or a piece of felt or a, a, a little rougher washcloth to just increase some sensation on the area surrounding the scar and then on the scar, and then working more on actually massaging and mobilizing the scar with your hands um, after it's healed. So that may take, you know, that's kind of the first 12 weeks. You may be looking at that. But again, if someone hasn't started that immediately post, postpartum, they can always start that at any time um, working on their scar. It's never too late.
1: And so so just give me an image of what... So someone has a scar, they're four to six weeks after... And you said they desensitize like a brush or something like a washcloth. And then do they mobilize it with their fingers? Like is it kind of rolling along the scar? How do they break up the scar tissue? So there's lots of ways to do it.
2: Um, so what we encourage. So again, like Sarah was saying, the desensitization that can happen early on. So people can start doing that really, you know, after the first week or two to desensitize the scar, but they don't want to go in, go, um, really massaging the scar until four to six weeks. And they don't want to go into the incision mm-hmm. until closer to 12 weeks. So the four to six weeks, they're massaging around the scar okay. and they can, they want to start pretty light. So you want to see. How does it how sensitive is the scar? Some people will have very sensitive very sensitive scars. And so they might just start by touching around their scar. Um, they could start by just pressing in a little bit above the scar and doing little circles, or maybe gently compressing in the skin and stretching the skin around the scar. And then as they progress, um closer to 12 weeks, um wanting that healing to take place, then they can start lightly into the incision, stretching around the incision um, with their fingers. They can actually lift the tissue and kind of roll the tissue a little bit. Um, They can do circles in all directions. Ultimately, we want scars to move the same way our skin does. And so you think about your skin, you know, you can pull it in all different planes and you want ultimately to have a scar that's able to move in that way as well.
1: That makes complete sense. So you're saying in the beginning, it's going to, obviously, because it's an incision, uh, a deep incision, it's going to be sensitive. And so that's normal. But what would fall out of the realm of normal? Is there anything that people should, if they're looking at their scar or having some sensations postpartum for a cesarean, that they should think, okay, this is not just normal healing?
3: So it's so funny, Deb, because I feel like all of these questions were like, well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> with that, it depends. Early on, looking for signs of infection. So again, within those first couple of weeks, looking at um redness, warmth in the area, um, an open wound that could be oozing or pussy or something like that that's really a little bit more emergent and um where you'd want to contact your medical provider right away. Um after that. You know, I I wouldn't say that it's, um, these things are common, but some of the things that people experience that can be improved are, you know, I have a lot of moms where they're like, oh, you know, I can't wear pants on my scar or like it really, I'm really sensitive over the area or if a button from jeans or denim kind of pushes on it, I just feel really uncomfortable. That's not an ideal situation as well If you know, I've had, you know, moms where they say, you know, my kid just kind of like jumps on my belly and I feel myself like guarding because I'm worried he's going to touch my scar. My my partner will reach around and kind of touch my tummy and and it makes me, you know, sense. So a little bit of guarding, um, sensitivity to the area, also numbness for a prolonged period of time. Or even when you look at your scar, you may even look at the coloration where some of it can look a little bit darker color or kind of a more purpley color or it can be puckered in some areas or even kind of forming a shelf mm-hmm. um, between your belly and, and the, the suprapubic area. So things that would say this could use some work, or maybe I should try something to see if I can improve this. Um, it's not it's they're totally messed up and there's no hope. It's more along the lines of, you know, there could be some things that could improve so that they don't have that sensitivity or discomfort. Um, and again, there could be issues that are going on that, that, they don't realize are linked to their scars like painful intercourse like back pain um, you know breathing challenges or um, bowel and bladder issues so again I always if you've had a cesarean birth I always encourage people to kind of if anything's going on just working with a PT to get an assessment to see if there's more they can do
1: I have a friend we actually were just talking about this she has two kids her oldest I think is ten or eleven um, you know, maybe that's her youngest and the older ones may have a couple years older so a bit bit out from her cesareans. And she was saying that she feels it, and you use the exact word she says, a shelf. And she's really, like her belly is pretty flat on top, and then she's this little shelf, and then the pubis. Is that likely scar tissue?
2: It could be. So it it just depends, and she would need to be assessed. Um, So it could be scar tissue that is Pulling in around the scar and creating that little shelf in the belly. Um, also with that after a cesarean, you know, because the abdominal wall is cut, it really can impact the activation patterns of the abdominal wall after birth. And I, I think that some people can develop patterns because of that activation where even a long time later after having a cesarean, their abdominal wall still isn't really firing the way that it should. And so I think sometimes too, the muscles not
1: activating and supporting them well contribute to that as well. All right. You just brought into a topic I really want to dive into. You just talked about cutting the muscles of the abdomen and then the activation and healing. So let's dive into that. So what's happening at Caesarean? How is it healing? What does someone have to take in consideration to start to find that core strength again and rebuild?
3: So, you know, in the actual cesarean birth um, or the surgical procedure, they don't actually cut through the muscles. They kind of move the muscles out of the way. But to get to those muscles, there are um, incisions made through skin, through fascia, connective tissue, through the uterus. So there are several layers of tissue that are affected and that need to heal. And that's really where the scar mobilization comes in, is working with those layers to um, get more mobility. And again, you know, if we have a certain part of our body that has been affected or has gone through surgery, we can't always connect to that area. The abdominal wall, the deep abdominal muscles, which we call the transverse abdominal muscles are, they work synergistically with your pelvic floor muscles. So what that means is when you, one fires, the other fires with it. So some of the ways that we get people to um, activate those is one with your diaphragmatic breathing, thinking about kind of taking that nice expansive rib opening breath, getting a little bit of kind of um, opening through the belly and then on the exhale doing what you would consider a pelvic floor contraction and seeing if you can kind of start firing those transverse abdominal muscles as well, which are the deep abdominals. Um, So that's kind of one way to do it is to connect with the pelvic floor um, while you're working with the abs and then you can also just kind of do some, some work on the abdominals themselves. I find that, you know, a lot of people don't even want to touch their scars. They don't even want to touch their bellies. They haven't thought about it. And so part of it is again, not just physically healing and connecting, but it's emotionally healing and connecting and just starting to give this part of their body some attention that they may not have been doing. Um, cause it is kind of an, an area of discomfort or, Neglect or just busy lives and not, you know, not being able to tend to it. So I think breathing, pelvic floor activation, um, working that into stretches and exercises and things like that can be really helpful to start.
1: Yeah, we do. And postnatal, we do, we break it down into first find the pelvic floor. I have them on a block, like a yoga block. Um, that's what my PT had me do. Just like take the weight off your pelvic floor. They could be swelling, find that pelvic floor, and then TA, and then consciously put it all together um so that all the pieces connect um because a lot of people i've had come back saying some are angry at their bodies because it didn't work how they wanted to some feel just just disconnected and then to know that they can start to fire things up and re create another relationship with their body just through breathing um I think it gives them some encouragement that they don't have to start doing this hardcore ab stuff, but just simply finding that transverse abdominal toning through breath can be encouraging.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So let's talk a little bit, Jessica, about you, because as a PT, <laughs> yeah, throwing <let's> this, talk- <laughs> All right? So throwing this at you as a, as a PT with your background in helping people, What was your healing experience like? Was it surprising? Like what you knew and then like, were you able to follow your own advice? Um, yes and no. So it was,
2: it's interesting because being a pelvic PT, I, I think patients oftentimes assume that I remember being pregnant and I remember patients saying, you know, oh, I'm sure you're going to have like this amazing vaginal birth. It's going to go perfect and all this stuff. Cause you know so much about the pelvic floor. Um, but my birth experience, but birth by nature is unpredictable, right? Mm-hmm. And my birth was unpredictable. I, like I said earlier, um, I labored for 37 hours, my first birth and then had a cesarean. And I think afterwards, um, one of the biggest surprising, I think, things to me was that I was so, so tired. Um, I don't think I've ever been more tired in my entire life. And, um, And I think the process going through labor and going through the cesarean and then hormones and dealing with being a first time mom was so much. And so I think I was really surprised at how much help I needed immediately after. And it was a challenge initially to get that help. Um But my first cesarean from a healing standpoint went very, very smoothly. And um I I would say I sort of listened to my own advice. Um, I did start doing scar desensitization and mobilization and everything early on and progressed myself in terms of my abdominal strength and everything went fairly smoothly. Um, it's interesting because my second cesarean, which was planned for a lot of reasons, but, um, but I had a little bit of more difficulty. And so with that cesarean, I ended up losing a good amount of blood during the birth, and so was having difficulty with blood pressure and passing out afterwards, and then I ended up having a nerve injury right afterwards where I had pain down my leg right after the birth. And it's so funny because fast forward, I taught a course on postpartum recovery, and I, I was talking about nerve injuries that happen after cesareans and the typical timeline that it takes for healing. And I was looking at my notes and it, yeah, it was exactly my experience that <laughs> nerves take time to heal and it took time and then it got better. Um, but I needed more help in terms of rehab afterwards. And so I actually did end up working with a PT. I worked with a pelvic PT who works at my practice and um, just to, to try to reconnect with my pelvic Pel- uh, with my pelvic floor and my lower abdominals my abdominals were the hardest thing for me to connect with after my second cesarean um and and that was a good process for me going through being a patient and and having the struggles that that all patients have you know I was I had a hard time fitting the exercises in <laughs> to my daily life because I had a three-year-old and a young baby and you know um I think in many ways going through the whole process has made me much more empathetic to my patients because, um, I, it's, it helped me to understand the challenges that go into a lot of this and, and to, it's helped me to know that we really need to give more grace to ourselves and more grace to our patients. And, um, and that most people are really doing the best they can with what they have at the time. So,
1: Mm. Yeah. Can you, I'm totally throwing this at both of you guys. I didn't prep you for this question, but we're talking about seeing a pelvic floor PT and it occurred to me as you're talking about seeing somebody and I was talking about, it, I saw someone that kind of put me back together. What can someone expect from working with a pelvic floor PT? Because I'll admit the first time she did some internal work, I'm like, huh, okay. <laughs> um, I guess this is what we're doing. But like, <laughs> You know, it's not like and I'd had I was a dancer before. So I'd had a lot of PT on like my ankles and my back and my knee and my shoulders, but this was very different. So, can you give a sense of if cuz we're recommending for people to have this? It's not your sports injury PT.
3: That's correct. So, <laughs> um it's so funny cuz we'll have patients come in and they're like in their sneakers and their workout gear and they're like, "I'm here for PT." I'm like, "Well, you can wear every anything because you'll be taking it off you know so um you know it's it's interesting because i think it can we can really demystify what pelvic floor therapy is and it's it's you know people don't know unless you've been through it but i think the first thing is It is like any other typical medical appointment or physical therapy appointment where your first session, you're going to go in and you're going to, it's in a private treatment room, one-on-one with the physical therapist, which I think is really important because you are going to be talking about really intimate issues and you may not want to do that in the middle of a big, you know, exercise gym, but they will ask you questions and you guys will have a conversation about what brings them to physical therapy and what issues are they having. And they may ask questions about, you know, urinary um, function, bowel health, uh, sexual function, exercise, you know, birth history, and just get a good overall understanding of what their pelvic health looks like, which again includes bowel health, you know, bladder health, sexual health, um, menstruation, menopause, all the things. And then we do an external physical assessment where we would look at their low back, their abdominals, um, check, you know, any muscle tension on their inner thighs. And then we do, with patient consent, an internal pelvic floor muscle assessment. And the way that we access those pelvic floor muscles is through the vagina, uh, through the vaginal opening, and or through the rectal opening. So, you know, typically it's a through the vaginal opening, um, if it's a first session, unless they are having you know, rectal pain or bowel issues or tailbone pain. And then the what we do is we assess their muscles. We look for strength um, by doing what's called a Kegel exercise and seeing if there's um, good activation there. We look for coordination with the abdominals and the breath. And then we also look for weakness if there is um, some laxity to the muscles or tissues, um, decreased endurance, um, decreased pelvic organ support, which can, you know, look like um, pelvic organ prolapse or if there's tension if there's a lot of tightness or tension in these muscles I think one of the interesting thing is you know which I still see and hear all of the time the narrative is do your kegels, do your kegels, oh just do your kegels and one the research is showing that a lot of women don't know how to properly do Kegels without individualized instruction. So they're likely not doing the right exercise and can even be doing the wrong exercise, which could make their symptoms worse. So the one-on-one care and instruction is really important. And as well, a lot of people have muscle tension. So Kegels are going to make that muscle tension worse. So Kegels are not the answer for everyone. And if they do have a muscle tension issue, it's important that they you know, work more on lengthening and relaxing these muscles, um, which can often be the case after birth. We think of weak, it's just weakness, but it really is. They may also have tension that needs to be addressed before they move on to a strengthening regimen if it's necessary.
1: Yes, let's just highlight that. It is not just about the engage. It's about the release. <laughs> so Correct. Many, it's
3: Correct.
1: about the balance. You want your pelvic floor springy like a trampoline, not held tight or hanging and saggy. So it's about, yeah, I love everything you're saying. And that's why we encourage, you know, I encourage my students in class, you know, not maybe while they're in class, but later, like get your hands around your own pelvic floor like feel are there trigger points or tightness around your sit bones what's going on cuz that that can give them some information if they don't have access to a pelvic floor pt they may need to investigate a little on their own and and make some decisions yeah it's definitely i hear too much of just to kegel it up and that's certainly not the answer oh you guys have so much great information all right we're going to take a quick break when we come back if you both can offer one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer a new and expect- and parents. We'll
3: be right back. Okay, we're back. All right, Sarah, you go, and then Jessica. So my tip is just a general one, but it would be to be proactive in your pelvic health. So that is includes everything from during pregnancy. If you are experiencing constipation, learn how to poop properly, work with a pelvic floor PT, make small changes in how you move, get out of bed, pick up kiddos or lift weights. So you can protect your abdominals and your pelvic floor and then even doing childbirth preparation to learn how to push well, how to utilize different positions for pushing or if you have a cesarean birth, things to expect in recovery um, and how to connect with a PT for scar massage or mobilization. So just really being proactive, um, just like we would prepare for any other you know, huge physical transformation in our lives. I think that this is one that we often don't think about needs to be tended to. So um, being proactive would be my tip. Oh,
1: that's a great tip. All right, Jessica.
2: So my big tip would be that self-care is not selfish. Um, I think that new parents, there's this tendency to want to put everyone else around you in front, especially your children, and to put yourself on the back burner. And I've been there um to where you know, you're, it, it's funny. Cause even if you look at some of the little comics about moms, it'll be like, Oh, you know, haha, that mom got a shower today. And that was the big win, but like hygiene should not be the end game. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they so do,
1: I, I laugh I, because it sometimes is, but yes,
2: it is sometimes. And, and I've been there where that shower is like amazing. But that being said, I think that prioritizing your self-care helps you to actually be a better parent. And so, you know, um, if you're sitting there struggling with some things after you had a baby or before you have a baby, um, don't just keep tossing all that on the back burner. And that jumps to Sarah's tip, be proactive, take care of yourself, because if you don't, it'll be harder for you to be everything that you're wanting to be um, to others if you if you can't be everything you need to be for yourself.
1: Oh, such good tips. I'm going to throw a tip in.
3: Oh, okay. People go see a pelvic floor PT. All right. That's- <laughs> <laughs> Clearly I, I feel, think I I feel love like that. I want to, you know, just record what Jess said and like replay it every day. <laughs> I was like, that was so moving that it's true. It's just, I think we need those reminders and, you know, support and encouragement from other moms that, we're not alone in this struggle and that it's okay to take care of yourself. It's actually necessary and beneficial for everyone in your family.
1: And you deserve to take, be taken care of. And you deserve like parents deserve a healthy body, healthy mind. Cause how are we going to set that example for our kids? If we can't take care of ourselves and it'll make us just more available if we're not struggling. I and remember- with-
2: last little thing, if I can add in a second tip, um, would just be to give yourself grace and be patient with yourself. Because I think that, you know, we talk about all this stuff about being proactive and self-care and all this, and I don't want anyone listening to feel a ton of guilt. And, um, if, if this isn't you right now, or, you know, if, if things are not going the way you want, or you have an exercise program and you're not following it or whatever, um, I think that we all each day is a new day to, to take a step forward for your, for yourself, for your health. And, um, and it's okay if yesterday didn't happen the way you wanted to. So just give yourself a little bit of
1: grace and, and then be proactive. Oh, Sarah, that Jessica, that was great. Thank you. Where can, cause clearly, you know how much I love pelvic floor PTs. Where can people (laughs) find both of your work?
3: Um so I um am my biggest presence is on Instagram as the vagina whisperer so it's the period vagina period whisperer Um, where I just kind of share a lot of tips about um, pelvic floor health, pregnancy, postpartum, the courses that Jess and I um, do together, and just about just general motherhood and life. Um, I think it's become a really amazing community for me, just going through the same transition that everyone else is going through. And then my website is thevaginawisperer.com, where, again, we have a lot of blog posts and um, kind of the services we offer for in-person and online support. I really love that name. <laughs> <laughs> it sticks. It's been sticking around. So I, it's, it's working so far. <laughs> all right, Jessica, where can people find your work? Yes. Um,
2: so I am, I, I'm also on Instagram and, um, I'm at, uh, Southern Pelvic Health. And then, um, along with that, I do write a blog, um, where I educate on all different topics related to pelvic health. And that is at Jessica. Real R E A L E P T dot com, um, and then one other with Sarah and my classes. So Sarah and I do all sorts of classes on pelvic health. We actually have a post uh, postpartum cesarean recovery class, which is I think especially great for people who are um, very early after their cesarean or are planning to have a cesarean. And um, and all of our classes are online at pelvicflooruniversity.com. dot com.
1: I will make sure that is in the show notes. I wanted to thank you guys so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And I think that the community will really benefit, whether you've had a cesarean or not, for the listeners out there, just the the tips about pelvic health and really putting yourself first. And it's so important. So thank you so much.
3: Thank you for having us, and Just, you know, really sharing this information with community and your audience. It's really, um, a pleasure to, and an honor to be able to kind of, um, inform people about, about their health in this, in this way after birth.
2: Thank yeah. you so much for having us. This has been um, a great conversation and I'm excited that we're, that you, you've been so proactive in educating your community on these topics. So thank you.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. All right. Enjoy your day. Be well. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.